Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode four, All Your Bodies Are Belong to Us. This week we're discussing season one, episode three of Doctor Who, The Unquiet Dead, and season one, episode three of Buffy, Witch. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first introductory podcast just to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, so we're starting out with Doctor Who again this week. We're, we like to switch it up here and, and go back and forth, and that means I get to start out as the, the newbie and coming to it. And, and I wanted to start talking a little bit, um, and I know we talk, we've talked about the TARDIS every episode so far, but I wanted to start out talking because it seems like we get some new information about the TARDIS, even right at the very beginning. Um, opens up their... Uh, well, I... When we first see them in the TARDIS, I guess there's that whole opening scene with the the, the, the weird zombie-like creatures and, and all that. But um, when we first see uh, the Doctor and Rose in the TARDIS, uh, there were a couple things that struck me. First of all, um, that Rose was helping to control it. Um, and then once they actually get to wherever it is they get to, which turns out not to be where they thought they were, getting to um they think they're in 1860 naples they wind up in 1869 cardiff <laughs> um i i guess i was just sort of curious because like the doctor seems like he should be able to know where he is and where he's going and and but no he has to go get this evening newspaper from some gentleman who happens to be standing on a street corner and and of course we we almost know immediately right away because you can hear the english carols being sung in the background and we're like well wait what and then of course the the welsh accents and everything well but then i'm thinking well maybe that's just the tardis you know with the whole telepathic mind altering language thing so like but then we get the confirmation from the newspaper that no it really is only cardiff (laughs) very rose is very disappointed that it's cardiff (laughs) yeah she is um and and i like her um sort of Willful, willful um, acceptance of just whatever, wherever yeah. and whenever they happen to be at that particular point in time. Except um, for Cardiff. Until until they find out that, until she finds out that they're in Cardiff. Yeah. And then she's like, uh, uh, okay. So, um, just to sort of wrap up the things I wanted to talk about with the, the TARDIS, um, the the size of it, obviously, I mean, we already know that it's bigger on the inside, but a Apparently it's like humongous. <laughs> like it's just goes on and on and maybe forever, but his directions to, to get her to the wardrobe that, mm-hmm. um, you know, to where she can change just uh, are ridiculous. Um, but then also I, I wasn't sure um, with like kind of the look of it. So, I mean, I, I know that we always see it as a police box. Is that what anyone everywhere like always sees it as, or is it, is it something where we would expect that it would sort of melt into the background of wherever they happen to be? I, I know, like, in the last episode, um, there's the call for them to move, you know, whoever has the blue box, please move it from <laughs> private quarters, you know. Um, but but they didn't seem, it didn't seem, like, yes, they knew it was, like, a transporter device. So, like, you know, it was, okay, it's a transporter device that happens to look like this blue box thing. Like, uh-huh. it's in the future, not that big of a deal. But, like, now we're going back to the past, and, and it, 
somehow seems more anachronistic to go back a hundred years with uh-huh. a police box than to go forward or you know, 150 years, I guess, than to go forward 5 billion years with a police box. Like somehow the, the, the two seemed, I don't know. It, it, one seemed more of a, a time sin or time. Yeah. You know, which, uh, 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 I don't even know what the right word is, but, but one seemed worse than the other to me. Um, so anyway, so th- those were kind of the things that I was I was looking at. So I guess let's just start out with like the accuracy thing. Like, is there a rhyme and reason to to where the doctor ends up? Is or is it just is it like the sonic screwdriver? Like he kind of has to will it to go someplace or another. And if so, like what are all these levers and wheels and buttons and whatever that he's doing? Or I mean, or do we just have to kind of see what happens? Like I don't know. That seemed kind of weird for me. Why he didn't seem to know where they were. Until they stepped out and, and verified externally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Um, well, so, um, to start with the kind of accuracy points and what you're noting about the fact that she um, helps him to pilot it. I, I wasn't going to mention this because they do actually explain this in canon later on, like in the okay. show. But, um, but the writers mentioned it in the commentary, which to me indicates that this was sort of an agreed upon idea even before it's not like they retconned this four years later like if the writers are mentioning it in the commentary in 2005 then it might not be in the show but it's an idea that they had discussed amongst themselves so i'm giving myself permission to say something which technically the the, the doctor doesn't say until a couple years later um and whether this was part of the classic show, how far back this idea goes, I don't know. But I think it's genius, which is that um, as a kind of circular hexagon shape and bringing in the fact that we know that the Doctor is the last of the Time Lords, I think the idea is that it's supposed to be piloted by uh, six Time Lords. That ideally, in a perfect world, where there were Time Lords and they were traveling through time and space, you would have a crew and you would pilot your TARDIS um, with everyone's, you know, standing at their little section of the console and everything would go smoothly. Um, And then, again, whether that was um, the original idea when they designed it in 1963, who can say? But um, at some point, somebody kind of came up with this idea and I think it's a really... And especially when you add in the mythology of him being the last of his kind, then the fact that he pilots this thing by himself really feels, and then the design of it, it just gels really perfectly. So, sure. um, sure. so, uh, so I think it's interesting. I think that's definitely part of, part of the inaccuracy. I don't think it, as much as I said to keep thinking about, the TARDIS and what it is and what its capabilities are. And I definitely would encourage you to keep thinking about that in the future. I don't think it works in quite the same way as the sonic screwdriver. I don't think it's a, um, you know, point and think kind of thing. It's more strangely, maybe more mechanical than the sonic screwdriver in that sense that it actually does have buttons and levers that do do things. And I, for whatever reason, um, whether it's because it's a beat up old TARDIS or maybe it's because um, 
he's doing it by himself rather than having people to help him for whatever reason it is not entirely accurate so does he know where they're going most of the time generally um but <laughs> there's but it's not and and it may be the fault of failing mechanics or it may be the fault of inaccurate driving but for some reason the doctor can mostly kind of tell it where where he wants it to go um but occasionally you end up in a slightly different time or place than he intended so that's a kind of frequent occurrence um and, and at least he's not blaming it on the companion yet no <laughs> no whether whether uh that may or may not come, I suppose. But um, okay, so so that and that answers the question about the control, um, not just the accuracy, but also my my question about you know why would he need someone to help him navigate? Well, mm -hmm. he might have five people helping him, and of course, with it being as big as it is, mm -hmm. it would easily fit a whole crew of yeah. time lo time lords and their staff perhaps yeah yeah <laughs> um, no definitely i've i'd forgotten that there is the mention of the wardrobe that early so um yeah i mean we don't see it but you do get this this sense of what else is in there how far yeah. does how far does it go um yeah there's a lot of turns for for there to be Right. It's not, not just one room stuff. in a closet. Yeah. Right, 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 right. No, you have to kind of make your second left and go past, like, you know, I forget what he said. I forget the specifics of the directions, but. And straight on till morning. Exactly. Um, and then, so so I guess really the only other the other aspect here is, yeah, the look of it. The, the external look mm -hmm. of it. Always a police box, like. Always, always a police box that will be explained, and and I think within the season they'll address okay. the, its look. So I'll save that, and we can talk about that when they. Fair enough. Um, yeah, always a police box, but but they are going to talk. Someone is going to bring that up, and they'll you know discuss that a little bit. Um, yeah. Well, and 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 we get that just sort of offhanded question from rose in the first episode mm -hmm. about you know what's what's a police box you right know, like well because like, oh, it's 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 a disguise it's whatever well you know it's even less of a disguise of course in 1869 well, because right? it's and and the funny thing about it is it's supposed to be a disguise in mid-century britain but even right. in the 60s the police boxes were outdated so they were kind of old-fashioned even then because right. like they weren't so they're really from like the 1940s and 50s. Okay. So maybe in 63, that was some, but even then I think they were starting to be phased out. So pretty quickly, even in the classic show, it, it wasn't even that much of a disguise because it's not like the red telephone booth that they have, like that's as iconic. Um, yeah. It. It, I mean, it is something that's specific to Britain in that time period, but even then was pretty antiquated. So it's not much of a disguise, even for 20th or 21st century Britain. Um, sure. It could have been the red telephone the, a red telephone booth if you really wanted to blend in. So there is that sense that even when he's in the right time period, it's still not much of a disguise, really. Right, right. That's... 
funny. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess we can actually start getting into some of the meat of the episode then, because um, th- th- this was a little different than than the first couple. It seems like we're getting more of this monster of the week kind of. Um, clearly, they're not here for a purpose. Whereas even even in the second episode and in, in the end of the world, they, you know, his purpose was to go there for a reason, partly to show Rose what. It, you know what he could do and where he could go but but also it seemed like his his purpose in going there um even though it sort of devolved into a a monster of the week episode in mm-hmm. a way um their purpose of of being there was somewhat specific at least the doctor's purpose was it was to show rose the end of the world and, and mm-hmm. to kind of introduce her to this idea that yeah time and space and everything is bigger than just kind of you <laughs> yourself mm-hmm. or or any of us individually um, this week they're totally just in this place by accident yeah. and we don't, we don't even know. So I guess, I guess we can assume, although it's not outright stated that they were aiming for 1969 Naples, mm-hmm. eight, sorry, 1869 Naples, but mm-hmm. we don't know necessarily why they were going there at, right. at this point. And I don't know if we ever will, or if that's even important, but that's where they thought they were anyway, and possibly where they were aiming for. And they don't end up there. They end up in this other place. And, of course, they run into trouble. Mm-hmm. Coincidence? <laughs> see, see <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was that was part of my – actually, part of my question about the accuracy thing mm-hmm. is, is there – you know, going, again, back to sort of our discussion last week, is, is there anything to do with sort of the fr- fate, free will? Is there Is there something that draws him to be in that time versus – um, you you know, versus going where he wants to go, kind of thing, and 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 he, you know, he seems to be totally fine with being there. Like yeah. you know, it's like wherever he ends up, you know, he's kind of the 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 quintessential, you know, um, Zen. You know, whatever is here and whatever is now is is what I have to deal with, and yeah. that's that seems somewhat appropriate for a time lord. But um, anyway, so yeah, so we get we get here. There's zombie gas creature possessive beings i don't know what to call them actually mm-hmm. do we get a name for the monsters the gelf the, the gelf 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 okay. with a with a th okay all right um, I, I, I missed, really I missed really quick name. before we get into them i would just say i i i didn't i did understand that that's why you were asking the question about the accuracy was it does seem like um, more than a coincidence that oh yes. perp- the doctor even says like that's more like it he throws his newspaper away like oh uh, like he, again he's they're there by accident it's not like he knew there would be trouble but oh trouble perfect um, that is a great question and I urge you to keep asking it <laughs> fair enough okay I can't I, I can't answer it but but. Uh, don't dismiss it as an unimportant question. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's what I'll say. But now we can talk about the gelf. The gelf. So the stiffs are getting lively. The stiffs again. are getting lively. Um, that that was just. I just We've got another one. <laughs> busted out laughing. Like, and 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 it was un- so I I that opening scene. Of course, you get in a um, you know you get in this morgue and and there's 
a dead person there and she comes to life and starts choking someone. I thought we were, I thought I mixed up the DVDs and that I was watching Buffy instead of Doctor <laughs> Who. I mean, it was, it was just really yeah. disconcerting there for a moment. No, but um, I, I guess, so the, the things that we learn about them, the gelth, um, man, that's a weird word, but I guess we're going to come <laughs> across many more of them. Yeah. So are they actually made of gas? Like, is that what we're led to believe? Like, or, or they just, that's the form that they take? Well, like, it kind of was... seems like they were involved in the time war, right? And they use the term time war this time. It's not just the war, it's the time war. Um, yes, that's and I think the they first... used that. Did they use did it they before? Not... I, th- I thought they I thought used they... it once before. Maybe they did. I couldn't remember, so I didn't want to use the term before the show did. But I know in this episode we do get the term time war. They did, and, yeah, and, and I could just be putting things together because I know he's a time lord, and there and was a there war. Was a yeah, war. so I, I may I may be conflating it. Um, well, I, okay, but but anyway, definitely we it's yes. out there now. But that's the name of the war is the time war. Actually, it's okay. the last great time war. So presumably there were others, but that yes, was the, the time war. Like World War One was the great Ex- war. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the war to end all wars. Yeah. Um, so my understanding of that explanation that they gave was that, um, they were somehow involved in it as, as warriors, I don't know, or maybe just as innocent casualties who happened to be sort of caught in the crossfire. But, um, but, uh, I think, didn't they say something about the fact that they lost their forms and we're existing as these gas creatures. So that's why they're trying to get through this rift to get bodies is that if they stay in these gas forms, maybe they're not going to survive. So that's sort of their motive. And that's what I was confused about. So yeah, certainly they're living in the gas pipes and, and I guess, I mean, the doctor certainly seems to be that they're gaseous and the gas draws them out or whatever so there's certainly some link there mm-hmm. um and whether that's just to get through the rift although i don't i mean this is a, it seems like there are going to be more than one rift and i don't want to jump down to talking about that quite yet but mm-hmm. y- y- you know i mean maybe we'll see other ones and, and maybe you don't necessarily have to be gaseous to get through them mm-hmm. but um that seems to be the implication is that they're they're some sort of gas creatures or or have some sort of gaseous form but I also wondered how much we can believe any of what they say, given that sure. they that they are are double crossers. Yeah, 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 they clearly are just coming to take over the world, and and right uh, are certainly more manipulative about it than say the nesting consciousness that we saw in the first episode, who right. was pretty much just like, yeah, I'm here and Invading. I'm going to take over all the plastic, yeah. and I'm going to use this big Ferris wheel to do it. So. You know, these guys are manipulative and it's, I mean, clearly it's so that they can get through. um, Right. It's just that there are three million of them rather than the three that we thought there were or whatever. Right. So, so I guess, you know, do we know that they were actually part of the time war? I mean, they say they were and they say that this is why they're, they need their bodies. Um. But, you know, I don't know if we can take what they say at face value. Certainly, certainly they seem to to need the bodies. That part at least seems to be true that, you know, Mm -hmm. in order to survive, they need bodies. And and 
apparently they can be destroyed, or at least we're led to believe that they were destroyed at, at the end. Right, um, right. Or at least at least the ones who came through. I mean, maybe there are more of them, mm-hmm. you know. But And the, and she kind of closed the rift off at the end is kind of what, what he said. The implication. Was, the implication is that they're not going to keep yeah. pushing through. So, so I guess, I don't know. I don't know how much of the we've been able to answer the question because yeah, I don't, I I don't think there is an answer. Um, to be honest, I mean, not one that in, in the text, I don't think so. I mean, maybe the writer had an idea in his mind, but I think it's one of those, we'll never know kind of things because yeah, I mean, what are we to go on? We only have what they, I mean, the doctor doesn't distrust them. He seems pretty so if he has any experience with Gelf in his past it hasn't led him to be suspicious but and he, I don't he know he doesn't seem to know that no I mean he doesn't have to seem to have any particular strong opinions about them either way so and he, um, and he certainly trusts them although I I take it that he seems to be a pretty trusting guy well and I think too whole. I mean I think oh time war last of the kind that's like you know, his, uh, his button. Yeah. If you need yeah. help from the doc, if you want some empathy from the doctor, you could just tell him that your kind were destroyed in the time war and he'll hop to, to help you. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, and, and of course they come across as, as the homeless guy who says he's a wounded vet who, mm-hmm. you know, never stepped out of his hometown. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're not, they're pitiable up until the point where they they use their claimed uh, suffering to to yeah. come through and 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 take over the world and and not right. just not just take bodies because I mean there's got to be three million bodies across the billions of people in the universe sure. you know in in the world that they could take without having to kill more people right. <laughs> you know what I mean like, like no though they're clearly malicious and yeah yeah and, right and, that well, this is an invasion it's not. Just, you know, give us what we need so that we can go somewhere else. Because that's what the doctor's going to do is you can use these yeah. corpses as temporary vehicles and I'll find you a home somewhere else. But right. no, they have other well, things in mind. So, um, yeah, and, and, and of course that great line where the doctor, the doctor says, I, I pitied you. And they say, well, we don't want your pity. We want the world and all its flesh. <laughs> that's, you know, just... Uh, of course, they're they're inhabiting zombies. Of course, they want flesh. Right? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, inhabiting corpses. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like the kind of Victorian corpses, the corpse zombies. Like it kind of had a uh, um, the flavor of all that zombie stuff that's out now, like Pride and Prejudice and all that's kind of the <laughs> Pride mashup. And and that, zombies, the yeah. mash. It, it kind of predates that a little bit, but that mashup of Victorianism yeah. and and. Yeah zombie stuff i thought bleak, was kind of funny bleak house and zombies yeah yeah uh, um <laughs> so the the so the doctor um yeah so he it, you know his heart goes out to them and of course they betray him it, you know and it's interesting there because in that whole uh that whole situation there um and i it might even be back to back with where he talks about the pity stuff um and i'm I'm trying to find the quote uh 
where he talks about the morality and he, and he's saying to Rose, Oh, it's before that. Right. Because it's when they're discussing whether or not to give these bodies to the Gelf. Um, and Rose is just having none of it. And the doctor says it's a different morality. Get mm-hmm. used to it. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me that when it all comes down to it though, the doctor does sort of go by a conventional morality. Sure. You know, he, he, he says, well, no, actually you guys are just coming in here to, to take over uh, living people, not just the dead body. So, you know, no, there is, there is a sort of conventionality to, to what his ultimate uh, morality is. And, and that's not to say that, um, yeah, he changed his mind or anything. It it was their action that that changed. And no, so, he has course, a moral line. Yeah, yeah. Well, well and it's and it kind of seems to me that, um, you know, I think Rose is definitely, understandably, always going to put humanity first, mm-hmm. as you know, I as as one of them. You know, people are what's important. So Gwyneth being safe is more important than however many Gelf need help. So the doctor in that sense is more um, egalitarian, I guess, or kind of, you know, uh, whoever needs help is the one who needs help, not whichever species I, you know, feel uh, affection towards. It's sort of whoever is in danger is who is important. But until they, but not up to the point that he's, just going to um, let them do whatever they want. And right, right. Well, it's and it's it's not a it's a more some people might say more detached, but it's it's at least a more scientific understanding of morality than than mm-hmm. Rose's emotional mm-hmm. um, understanding, because it's it's certainly, you know, it's their dead bodies. Why does anyone need them? They don't right. need them anymore. You're, right. You know, aren't you a donor you know aren't yeah. you an organ donor you, yeah you know how is that really different in the long run well it's you know i'm sure rose would say something along the lines of it's different because it's still my body and i'm choosing to give that away yeah. versus the doctor saying well there, that that body is just a pile of elements it's at this me. point there's yeah th- yeah there's there's no there's no whatever person was there is no longer there whatever happened to them he's not even making a metaphysical statement about right. soul or spirit or or afterlife or or possibly nothing you know it's just he's just saying whatever was in that body is no longer there it's not you know something that that we need to concern with because the person who was in it isn't concerned with it anymore either right and which, so which interestingly uh seems to be Gwyneth's position too because she talks a lot about her you know and like you said, it's not it's not a metaphysical statement. It's not anti um it's not anti any sort of belief in an afterlife. You know, because she seems very sur- sure of the fact that, you know, my parents are in heaven waiting for me and I'm going to join them one day, and she seems to understand that, you know, if I can help these beings now, that's the right thing to do and and it's not that has nothing to do with her faith in the fact that um, I'll be with my family in paradise when it, when all's said and done, you know. So whereas, you know, so Rose is not only opposed to the doctor, she's who's very scientific. She's also kind of, you know, not opposed, but, you know, 
Gwyneth, who's, you know, more of a, more of a spiritual point of view, I think, yeah. strangely aligns more with the doctor than with Rose in that instance. That she yeah. ends up against the two of them. Yeah. For yeah, her, so I think it's more about the indecency of it and the disrespect of, she's more materialist in that way, I guess, that there's something important about these bodies, even though the spirit might be gone, it's important not to disrespect the body. Yeah. The, yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with all that. I think the doctor is definitely more of sort of the, in, in the most benign sense, uh, agnostic about it. He's, mm -hmm. he's not making any, any determination one way, but you're right. Yeah. Rose or um, not Rose Gwyneth's outlook from just the body perspective is, is right along the same lines. Um, I think, hmm. yeah, I don't know that that's interesting. I, I, I guess, um, just sort of on that whole, like morality and, 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 uh, afterlife thing there was that interesting color change when uh -huh. the when the gelf reveals the treachery and, yeah. and there's this whole sort of de demonic satanic kind of we descend yeah know, <laughs> yes we are legion you yeah. know coming through you and possessing yeah. you and and taking over all your bodies it was very um yeah I, again they're aliens but um it's it's just it, it did have that sort of uh well and that's and that's what to. I said before about um I think I said this last week about Doctor Who wanting to find scientific explanations for everything so whether it's you know uh vampires werewolves ghosts whatever things that we think of as paranormal rather than mm -hmm. or magical rather than um that th that's what I said before is they all end up being aliens. You know, so technically, yes, but that doesn't mean they lose their essential paranormal paranormality or I don't know. <laughs> um, paranormalness. That, yeah, that they're still they still have all the essential qualities of ghosts. And I like the way that they blend the sci fi with the fantasy and the paranormal stuff. So. I mean, technically, we're in a science fiction story about aliens, but we get things like a seance, and we get, um, you know, the kind of medium and all the kind of, you know, the, the ghostly trappings that go along with that. Um, yeah. And I actually think um, the ending with Gwyneth is really interesting, that for all I've said that the show likes to have scientific, you know, tie everything within a little scientific bow and have it sort of explained away at the end as, as, you know, extraterrestrial in one way or, the, or another. Um, I have to contradict my own statement because here we are in episode three and it seems to me that what we get at the end is them ex their experience with a real ghost because the doctor says that when Gwyneth chooses to sort of light the match and sacrifice herself at the end, that she's been dead for a couple minutes. Um, so, yeah. so what are they talking to? It's not the Gelf because they're not possessing her or she wouldn't be blowing them up and trying to stop them. Um, but if she's dead, then what exactly? And I think 
it's an interesting little open-ended question. And just that hint in there of, like, Dickens says, quoting Shakespeare, that there's more on heaven and earth than is dreamt of in your philosophy, that after all the stuff with the ghosts turning out to be aliens, did we maybe just have a conversation with a ghost? And the doctor has to sort of not say anything. He doesn't have an explanation for it. Um, and Gwen is gone, so we can't get one from her. So I, yeah. you know, so I thought that's interesting. So early in the show that that's not even such a settled question. Um, and it I, does leave that window open. I have a theory. Okay. The doctor was lying. <laughs> that's my theory. So here, here, here. And I you would not be because... the first to, uh, say that theory actually. No, I, I say that because uh -huh. to, I think. To, to ease Rose's mind about that? Well, yes, for one. Um, but also, although Rose kind of calls him out on it. Mm -hmm. And and she says, well, wait a minute. No, she talked to us. How, how yeah. could she have been dead? And I'm not sure we know what Rose thinks would be better. Which, if she was already dead, mm -hmm. would that be better? Or if not, would, and she sacrificed herself. You know, I don't think Rose would be able to answer that question. And mm -hmm. I think you're right in the sense that it 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 is messy and that makes us think about that. And I think that's what makes it interesting. Mm -hmm. The reason I say that I think he was lying is that I think it makes a nice parallel with the treachery of the Gelf. Mm -hmm. Because clearly they were lying, <laughs> you uh -huh. know, and, and, and convinced them to come through. When the doctor... He says he says to um, Gwyneth right as he's leaving. He he apologizes to her basically um, as as he's leaving and says you know thank you or whatever. I, I don't remember the exact words, but he she pulls out the matches. I mean, this is not a gelf doing this, right? No, it's got to be so her. Well, alive or dead, it's got to be her. It's definitely Gwyneth, but we don't know. I mean, if it's not Gwyneth. Then what is it? Is her spirit in her body? Well, that how is that not her alive? You know right. what I mean? Like, right. yeah. like it. You know, if it's if it's her soul or spirit or conscience or or not conscience but consciousness. Yeah. Um. Then, and it's working through her own body. Then that seems to me it's it's still got to be her. Uh -huh. Whatever whatever is essential to her, whether it is her body, whether it is her soul, whether it's both together. Um. That has still got to be her. And I think I think he recognized that, one, in the same way that Gwyneth wanted to help the Gelf when she knew or when she believed that they were angels, you know, needing to come have good form. Mm -hmm. Now she realizes that she needs to help the others who are, you know, being Rose and Charles and the doctor. Yeah. Um, that she now needs to help them because she's allowed these creatures to come through. And I think the doctor is the only one who would recognize that sacrifice and allow it to happen. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, Dickens may have, but he, you know, just like everything else in the episode, he would have probably been almost too late in recognizing it. And of course him and him and Rose are choking on gas fumes at that point. Yeah. Had Rose been there, she would not have allowed it at all. Right. Right. And so I almost think that, that the doctor specifically wanted them out of there so that he could do what needed to be done. 
basically kind of thing. And yeah. that his explanation to Rose is a lie, flat out lie. Mm-hmm. Um, to ease her conscience and to, um, well, and it makes it, it makes it, if she was already, if she was already dead, then what does blowing up the building matter to her? Really? Like it, it makes that sacrifice easier to swallow because she was already gone, you know, well, and easier the doctor, for Rose and, 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 and easier that, for the doctor too, I guess. And that almost proves the doctor's point before about if they're already dead, then what does it matter? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it, again, it's it's almost forcing, not forcing, but um, I, I'm not quite sure what the word is. I mean, it does seem a little coercive, but it, but, but in a way to convince Rose that the doctor was right earlier when he said, you know, these corpses are nothing. Well, if 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 Gwyneth is dead, yeah, then you know, this last act, whatever it was, yeah. you know, whoever did it, yeah. it didn't matter because Gwyneth was already dead. Well, then how is that any different from the corpses being dead right. that could be inhabited by spiritual bodies? Anyway, so I, well, yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm starting right. to... Right, it bolsters, it bolsters his own yeah. argument from earlier. But but it, in a way that forces Rose to recognize that, and I'm not sure... Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure she necessarily does, but it it definitely is all kind of in there, and you're right, it is very messy, and it's... but But that's why I think the doctor's lying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, you know, interesting. Okay. Any, anyway. Yeah. Do do, do I you, like it. Do, do you concur or do you have an argument against that? Um, my argument against it, um, is maybe based a little bit more on character. Um, and it, it may be something that, um, you would maybe have to, watch a bit more of the show to really kind of see where I'm coming from with it. Um, the doctor was very kind of quiet about all the spiritual goings on in this episode. Normally, um, if there's any kind of spiritual explanation, he just sort of poo-poos it and that's ridiculous and it's impossible. So generally if something kind of quasi spiritual occurs and he doesn't have an explanation for it, then it's that's when you can kind of take notice. So okay. now I'm not saying he knows or believes or thinks that it was a ghost necessarily, but the fact that it's left open to me is that happens so rarely that okay. that's when I kind of want to put a little flag on it and say, hmm, that wasn't explained and he always tries to explain everything. So if he's not explaining it, that makes me kind of take notice a little bit more. But, but I don't know that that necessarily contradicts. He may not know what happened. So I'm going to tell Rose what I kind of think happened and make something up and hope that she'll swallow that kind of a thing. You know, I mean, so whether and that, then Charles is conveniently there to quote some Shakespeare, yeah, and make it all seem plausible. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we have Charles in the episode who's kind of being the skeptic the whole time and everything. So maybe because Charles is around, the Doctor doesn't have to be the skeptic. Um, that Dickens is kind of the voice of of that. Um, hmm. But then I was listening to the commentary. It's interesting about Dickens was kind of contradictory himself about that stuff that. 
on the one hand, they are saying in the commentary that he was very, um, he was into like mesmerism and some of the kind of like quasi-spiritualistic things that went on in, in the 19th century. But at the same time, he was, you know, a very vocal, um, you know, antagonist against superstition. Um, and so, so he even seemed kind of, you know, contradictory about that stuff, which maybe the doctor is too, you know? And so I guess I wouldn't, I, I, I do not think it's out of the realm of possibility that the doctor is lying. Uh, right. And that's not the last time that we might call the doctor a liar. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but just the fact that it's left open to me is significant. So that would be my main sort of, my main reason to call it anything in particular is because of the fact that they don't answer it. I kind of don't want to either. Um, okay. But fair, fair enough. But you know, I, I still think he's lying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, I, and I think yeah. I mean, I, I think it does make sense in terms of him wanting to convince Rose and protect her, and it seems like the kind of lie that would make her feel better. So, um, so I I won't disagree with that. <laughs> fair enough fair enough i wanted to i we we don't have a whole lot of time left yeah, a couple um, minutes but i did want to talk through some of the mythological pieces here and mm -hmm. and there's kind of two big ones um obviously the rift mm -hmm. um plays a big part here so we're told that this rift is a weak point in space and time mm -hmm. and um basically becomes a connection or, or a bridge or that there's some sort of bridge needed between one place and another. Um, we're kind of given the impression and, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here that, that there is more than one of these things, that these things can happen, I guess maybe between any two arbitrary points or, or maybe it's specifically between two mm -hmm. specific points or something. But um, am I right in, in yeah. surmising? That? Um, yeah, it's kind of both. Um, that we will revisit, the, they'll use that term of the rift um, okay. again, and we'll see. And other, it's kind of. And that is kind of a repeated thing when dealing with, like, you know, you know, points that connect time, particular time and space to each other, or even points between parallel worlds, things like that. Um, yeah. And actually, and and to go to your point of of specific ones. Um, the Cardiff Rift becomes sort of a point in Doctor Who that they'll refer to that in the future of as a specific rift and like a major one. Um, and actually, it becomes the basis for um, the spin-off Torchwood, um, which is oh, okay. which is set in Cardiff. And I think I haven't seen Torchwood, but I think the idea of it being that it's the Cardiff Rift becomes sort of a mecca of alien activity. That because it's there, you get all these alien, you know, sightings and everything. So that's why Torchwood sort of is centralized there. And interestingly, Eve Miles, who played Gwen, uh, Gwyneth in this episode, um, went on to be cast in in Torchwood. Um, so, and they kind of uh, later in the series uh, allude to the fact that, gosh, she looks a lot like that. Like, they make a joke about, you know, 
genetic uh, multiplicity or whatever that she looks like the same person who was there 150 years ago or whatever. So they kind of right, nod right. to the casting and everything. <laughs> um, so, you know, the Cardiff Rift as a mythological point isn't so much significant in Doctor Who. That's more of a Torchwood thing. But, but the idea being that that's a significant rift, but that there are other ones out there. Okay. Um, yeah, and and simply specifying the mm-hmm. Cardiff Rift, yeah. obviously, sort of implies that too. But but I did get that sense that there were more than others, and and as you've already said, this kind of becomes one of the explanations for supernatural phenomena. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I love that um, that quote from um, Sneed. Uh-huh. That's the guy's name. Yeah. Uh, the the echoes in the dark, queer songs in the air, feeling like a shadow passing over your soul. Was yeah. that? Am I right that he said that? I think so. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 Right. Um, and yeah, and, and that that's <laughs> it feels if it it feels ghostly, and that's because they're living right. over this rift. Right. And of course, then he says, "Oh yes, this rift is in the morgue." And yeah. Rose, Rose <laughs> you weren't going to well. say gazebo. <laughs> yeah. No chance you were going to say gazebo there. Um. And and then um, I don't know. I just found it sort of an, an interesting. It, we don't need to spend much time on this, but an interesting uh, visual effect that the weak point was beneath the arch of uh-huh. uh, the, the morgue. There, just kind of a uh, a neat little touch there, because arches, of course, are supposed to be buttressing and, and keeping holding things up uh-huh. rather than yeah. being being weak. Uh, you know, they're they're they're. Um, architectural strong points rather than uh, right then weak points uh, uh, weak points but anyway um one other well okay so that so the rift okay we'll find out more there's other ones um the 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 whole time thing you know again obviously they sort of go to the wrong time Mm -hmm. but but i found rose's um pause there before they kind of exit uh the tardis and, and she says you know, think about it. Uh, Christmas 1860 happened once, just once. It's gone. It's finished. It'll never happen again. And then she points out specifically uh, the doctor, you know, except for you. You can go back and see the days that are dead and gone 100,000 sunsets ago. No wonder you never stay still. Mm-hmm. Like that, that was interesting to me because I think, at at least for me, and and I don't know, I I sort of think this might be universal but at least for me one of the interesting things like yes you you do want to go back and see things but it's not just to to never stay still kind of the things that that i enjoy doing are are going to visit places that are um someplace you haven't seen before but but to take your time there and to kind of really view them and get to know them Mm -hmm. and and of course they're you know a lot of visitor places you kind of go okay yep we saw you know niagara falls or the grand canyon or mm-hmm. whatever it is and 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 now we've seen it brush your hands and kind of move on yeah but but i do think that there's i thought it was interesting that she said no wonder you never stay still and and that idea that there is just so much to see yeah but how much of it do you ever get to enjoy right you know is kind of inherent in that statement you you know do you get um you know, do you get to really experience the things that are there or or is it just a matter of just popping from one place to the next, which is pretty much what they do. They come. I mean, they're yeah. there for what? One night, less than right, a night. Right. You know, well, um, and um, 
Yeah, that makes me think of two things. One being that that's that I that to me is that idea of the kind of inherent paradox of the doctor is someone who uh, can go anywhere but doesn't really belong anywhere, right? Like his home is gone. He can go anywhere, but that doesn't he doesn't stay at any of these places. He doesn't really ever belong in any place that he lands. Right. Um, and the other thing, and that just that the first thing that Rose does when she walks out is makes that footprint in the snow. And just that the idea that like, okay, I'm not just here as a spectator. I'm here as a participant. And mm. I just put my footprint in. I, I kind of think of that as like a little, a, a little visual image of what um, kind of Dickens is all about at the end when they're kind of saying like that he wants to be remembered. He wants to have made an impression. You know, do my books last? How am I remembered? Do I have a legacy? Yeah. And we've got Rose who makes an impression in the snow Literally makes an impression. With, with her yeah. foot. And I just thought like that's kind of what it's about, right, is – living to the fullest and making some sort of an impression and that they're not just there as spectators but as participants and because they have this this sort of time rule that time is uh in flux and can be rewritten and the fact that if they screw up with the gelf they could completely change the course of history as they know it um that there is that danger of this is not that we're in the his in the past and nothing we do matters. Um, that things can go wrong. So there's something inherently attractive and dangerous about that. I mean, it's attractive because you can become in involved and attached and everything, but also obviously hugely dangerous too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Some great lines there. Like the one you mentioned, the times in flux, um, and that whole conversation between Rose and the doctor, I, I haven't been born yet. It's impossible for yeah. me to die. But of course he points out, well, it's, which never made sense to me. People always say that in time travel stories. Like I can't die in the, why not? If you can come yeah. to the past, what's to prevent you? That argument yeah. never made any well, sense to me. Well, and, and, and I, yeah, it's, it's very much a, a, a sort of an excuse. I mean, she's, she's looking for grasping at straws. Con yeah. Yeah. Consolation there. Not, not logic. Um, yeah. but yeah, of course he points out the obvious, like you said, it, time's not a straight line. It can twist into any shape and, mm -hmm. and some of that twisting might involve us being dead. Yeah. Um, so I, well, I mean, all right, we're kind of we're at the end couple, of our time, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but we can't leave without just saying a few things about Dickens. So okay. let's, let's go ahead. First of all, well, so can I, I just register my enjoyment of the whole doctor being a fan scene, which is just like <laughs> a tour de force of fandom that yes. it starts yes, yes, yes. with the profuse, how quickly it devolves from from his praise into the criticism and like, Oh, you're so brilliant. Ex except for that bit in Martin Chuzzlewit. That sucked. What were you thinking? You know? And if you can't take criticism, what's wrong with like, Oh, written yes. by a true fan. Yes. Yes. Of course. Um, and yes. Uh, so the, uh, I, well, there you go. <laughs> um, 
no, it, it was. I, you, you know, it's interesting. So I guess the, um, of course, we, we get the little bit at the end there that, of course, it's it's the year before Dickens dies and not even a full year. It's like six months before he dies. Right. Um, he, he, he was actually on his farewell readings, which I, I think that's pretty much what he was calling them at the time uh-huh. he, where he was going around um, basically saying, yeah, I know I'm going to die soon. And, and so I, I found it interesting that his character, at least at the beginning of the episode, seemed very um, much in line with that sort of, you know, it's, I'm at the end of my life. I'm um, in, in, in real life in 1869, he did have some kind of either stroke or fainting spell or mm-hmm. something earlier on in the year where, you know, he, he knew that he was kind of on his last legs and, yeah. and all of that. And then, um, you know, uh, kind of to your point in, in about being involved and making an impression and, and not just going to see the sites, but to actually actively, participate in in the time and the place where you are uh the doctor even points out you know this is you know we made a difference in his life even if it only is going to last six months yeah he's going to remember those six months and of course we never get edwin drood and the elementals and the blue elementals (laughs) the blue elementals um although you know that whole that whole bit anyway uh, apparently dickens had already revealed the ending of Edwin Drood, anyway, to a friend. So, are you saying this isn't real life, Curtis? I'm I'm saying that you know, <laughs> of of everything in this entire episode, that's the one I'm most offended by. No, um, no, no, no. Of course, I mean it's great, and 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 his line, "What the Shakespeare?" Oh yeah, yeah um, what the Shakespeare's which, going on? Which is, uh, of course, a reference to the fact that Shakespeare has "What the Dickens" and, yeah. and uh, "Merry Wives of Windsor." Yeah. But, um, so anyway, no, I, I, you know, it's great. I, I, I love Dickens works who doesn't, um, as well, but yes, there are those works that I would also criticize if I had a chance meeting uh-huh. with him face to face. So, well, I like uh, too that, uh, that the surprisingness of what's the one with the ghosts, a Christmas Carol. No, the signalman best short story ever written that, <laughs> that he has a kind of, uh, non-mainstream favorite yeah. and everything and that kind yeah. of makes dickens like him a little bit more yeah it's the, the dickens deep tracks yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> um anyway so so yes 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 uh good stuff there and and i imagine we're going to see some more of that i mean i know we haven't really gotten into um historical stuff yet at this point but I, mm-hmm. i'm assuming that we're going to get some more maybe of these sort of classical characters yeah um, get little historical, historical cameos and, every so often yeah, yeah, um, but I, I thought they did a real good job with that. And uh, anyway, I just uh, wanted to make sure we talked about that a little bit. Any anything else, Doctor Who related that um, you wanted to point out before we move on? Um, we should probably wrap up. Um, I think we hit everything. Um, well, I won't. We don't have to talk about it because we can talk about it later. But. I noticed that you had in your notes um, that line about um, the things you've seen, the darkness, the big bad wolf. Just just remember that is all I'll say. Okay. All right. I Well, now that you've mentioned it, I'm sure I will. Okay. <laughs> well, right. you did and you noticed it. So you put it in your notes. I, so I thought I would just confirm that that's worth noticing. Okay. Sounds good. Confirmed. All right. 
right, well, let's move move on to Buffy Buffy then. And, yeah, well, and you get to start, so go ahead. So, uh, we might as well start with what this episode was really all about, which was, um, the parents and the kids, uh, and their relationship. I mean, specifically, we get mothers and daughters, uh, so maybe what does that tell you about mother and daughter relationships as opposed to other kinds of parental (laughs) relationship? I don't know, but, uh, in any case, I mean, so, I mean, we're into that thing again of the high school issues being represented through these sorts of magical metaphors, um, you know, and kind of using, uh, you know, the, the supernatural aspects as a way to explore things that are very real for probably everybody, but most people growing up. Um, and, uh, I mean, Cordelia, who's kind of not even really in tune with what's going on in the plot, basically tells you the plot when she says, we have to achieve our dreams, otherwise we wither and die. And this whole idea of um, what are people willing to do for their own achievement of their goals or their own self-aggrandizement. And and if they're not maybe totally satisfied with the way their lives turned out, the way they project that onto their kids. Um, Mm -hmm. So you have Catherine the Great, who was a very successful and lauded cheerleader in her day and you know prom queen and married her high school sweetheart the perfect she's one of these people who uh peaked too early and then found that uh real the real world outside of school was a lot harder than that and uh and you know i mean certainly not she's not a you know faultless victim she contributed to her own issues clearly but but in her you know in her frustration with her own life she you know puts that pressure onto her daughter and you know eventually resorts to demonic means to achieve those ends and live vicariously quite literally um i mean it's a it's a literalization of what lots of parents do, which is use their kids as vehicles for their own dreams and ambitions. So a really, a really smart um, way to sort of talk about that issue. Yeah, no, I, I, that's spot on. I mean, and and obviously, I mean, it's, it's right there in the episode. So a couple things that I want to pick up on. First of all, great that you picked up on on cordelia's line i mean you're right she states it outright um it's important not to dismiss cordelia i mean we've already seen her as oh she's smart yeah the the uh sort of vapid (laughs) um bitch that she can be but one of one of the things that you picked up on here and 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 i would encourage you to keep looking at her um is that she's she's that open says immediately what she's thinking Mm -hmm. there's no filter there and and very often comes up with that that sort of incisive comment like the one that you picked out of um yeah she's very insightful the 
so yeah, the the whole um, living vicariously and 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 that sort of thing. I think. Um, well, so you get yes, you get the Catherine the Great, and you get Amy, and I think um, one of the things with Catherine is is like you pointed out the she does uh, sort of do some some of this stuff to herself. She does speak early, and she but she doesn't recognize sort of what she's done to herself. Right, everything right. Is, is done to her, and so so you get right. The, she paints herself of, as a victim. Yeah, yeah, you you know oh. Her that, husband that, was a bum, jerk, and yeah, yeah. My father, who was of course really her husband, right? She's she's apparently a lot better at talking about herself as her daughter than her yeah. daughter as herself, which also kind yeah. of tells you their own mental states. You know, like she's she's totally comfortable being a teenager again, right? Whereas clearly her daughter isn't ready yet to be an adult, right? <laughs> um, but and she's ready to believe that lie convince herself of her own lie whereas right. Amy is look at me out of here. Yeah, she's she's having trouble with it and oops, I'm not supposed to let you in or And maybe even or... sabotaging her own, you know, wanting to get caught a yeah. little bit, you know. Um but we we get the sense so of, yeah, you know, the the husband slash father ran off with the trailer trash tramp mm-hmm. or whatever. And the mother was so, you know, she put herself through cosmetology school and, and all that kind of stuff. But based on Amy's description that we get later, when, a, you know, when, when Giles and Buffy finally recognize that, <laughs> the, that the switch has happened and, and they're talking to Amy as her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we get this whole different picture of, of the mother as, as Catherine, as this, you know, woman who just can't handle her own situation. She can't stand up to, regardless of why the father left, which we may start to think that maybe he had some good reason to leave, yeah. you know, you know, regardless of that, she clearly hasn't handled it well. Right. And, and, and putting that pressure on her daughter, you know, again, it becomes grasping at this, this idealized version of herself mm-hmm. that, um, that even, be, even having the ability to go back to in a way, even though it's her daughter's body, you know, going back to that, she still can't recognize the idealized version of herself. And so you wonder how much of that was even true at the time. Well, and Amy says that her dad called her a witch before he left. So mm. implying that witchcraft wasn't the coping mechanism to deal with a failed marriage, that this was something she was, it was causal. It was causal. It was something that yeah. she was dabbling in while he was still there. Um, and that, so that, well, and, you know, and, uh, to me that says that that contributed to the breakup of the relationship in the first place. And possibly even as far back as high, her own high school years. Right. Catherine's own high school years. Like, you know, why was she the best? And right. why was that's, she I didn't even think of that, but that's the only true. one in yeah. Sunnydale history to take their cheerleading team to right. Um, right. Maybe level maybe that it was did. always an artificial thing. Right. And and so 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 you get all of that, but but I think the the sort of the the key point there is is yes, again, sort of 
grasping at this idealized version of herself and and trying to live vicariously through her daughter, which, you know, she has that line about she can't make her body do the things she right. wants it to, right. you know, kind of thing. And it's like, well, because it's not your body. Right. You know? And it's not built the same way. It's not yeah. not all bodies are capable of the same things. Right. Um, which is why parents should never put pressure on their kids because they're different <laughs> than you. It's not a matter of willing yourself into success. People are different. And and so and and so and that's all great and and I think um, I think the cool thing then is that you get this parallel between Joyce and Buffy. Yeah. Um, Same kind of thing where where um, you know especially the part where Joyce is trying to get Buffy to join the yearbook team. Yeah. You know and 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 Buffy's like. I'm, I'm not you. Yeah. Nerds pick on them, you know. Um, but yeah, and I, the same thing. I'm my own person. I'm into my own thing. Yeah. And what do you get? You get the your thing is not the right thing. Yeah. Your thing got you kicked out of school. Your right. thing made us move to this crappy little Sunnydale town. Yeah. Um, which is kind of funny because Joyce doesn't really know half of no the the, the badness that's going on at Sunnydale, but she clearly. She's got her own issues with with not being able to live her life the way she had wanted to. You right. know, she she's blaming Buffy for having to move, for having to do, and you know, come here and do this stuff. Well, so, and also she also is a single mom. Um, yes. You know, so there's a parallel there too. You know, I don't know. Are we going to learn more about Buffy's dad and the circumstances in which he left, or? Yeah, um, we will learn more about Buffy's dad, so I don't really want to get in that too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but but definitely, you know, there's that moment of revelation um, when the group there, Giles, Buffy, um, Xander, and Willow, when they're talking about why are these attacks happening, why, you know, these magical things, and they realize, oh, it's it's related to cheerleaders, and... And and Buffy has that great line of, you know, I think you're underestimating the amount of pressure a parent can lay on you. Yeah, she's speaking from experience, yeah. Yeah, if you're not a picture-perfect carbon copy, they tend to wig. <laughs> um, in, in, in great Buffy speak. In Buffy there. speak. Um, but yeah, the, you know, this whole idea of, of pressures that, that parents put on their kids, and, and uh, it, it's just throughout. Um, so you, you brought up the, the sort of the missing father thing. I think... It's kind of minor, but you do start to see um, a little bit of Giles coming into his own as a watcher. And in that role, I don't want to make too much of it, at least yet, Yeah. Um, not to give too much away. But you do kind of get that, that one moment where he's he's sort of becoming almost a surrogate father figure for her. Sure. Um, you, you know, well, there's the opening scene where he's he's sort of lecturing... Yeah, about, about the the cult of the cult of cheerleading, <laughs> um, and and he, he he says, "Oh, you know, Buffy's like typical teenager response. Well, and you're gonna stop me? How? Yeah." Um, and he says, "By appealing to your reason, if such a creature exists, you know, he's trying to be the the good watcher, the reasonable, you know, stand up guy." But then um, when they get to when, when Buffy's in trouble and she's you know going to die and she's uh, you know, if, if they don't find this stuff, you know, they go to Catherine and Amy's house 
and, and Giles just gets right up into who he thinks is Catherine, but mm-hmm. of course turns out to be Amy. And he's just like, you know, he, he's very assertive. He's very, he, he's very protective, whatever. And that, that moment there seems to me that he's sort of stepping beyond the watcher bound yeah. into a more almost fatherly protective sort of role. Right. This, this is not, this is not just my slayer. This is my charge. Yeah. You know, this, you know, it's, she's not, she's my ward. She's maybe not quite child, but you know, she is my responsibility yeah. beyond just, being someone who is a librarian or even, you know, someone who trains her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, right. It's more, it's reached a more personal level than that. So, so I think sort of juxtaposed to the mother daughter relationships there, you do kind of have this other budding relationship. And I don't, I don't want to make too much of that because I, I don't want to say, you know, Oh, you know, mother daughter relationship, bad father daughter relationship. Good. Right. You know, I don't want to be that, that strict or anything about that. I I'm just saying that that's, those sort of things are going on and, and mm-hmm. can and, and should be sort of compared and, and kept in mind as stuff goes on because especially for Buffy, um, well, and, 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 and even with Amy, you know, her relationship with her father at the end of the episode. Seems you know, to be because, good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and of course she's describing it like, Oh my God, he wants to spend so much time with me, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. blah. And, and then of course she loves it. And, yeah. And is having a great time with that too. So again, you know, not trying to say anything general there, just in these particular situations, um, we have that stuff going on. Um, right. And the fact that there is a missing father figure kind of opens up the, the opportunities them. for this relationship with Giles and for it to yeah. go in more of a parental direction than it might otherwise. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah. So there, well, and there's also the, my, my sort of ongoing thesis about the differing levels of knowledge there, because mm-hmm. it, you know, it's Giles knowledge about magic and the fantastical things that are going on, which puts him in a position to do that, which is something that Joyce simply doesn't know about. Um, Joyce's obliviousness starting to get, that, get under my skin. <laughs> well, and so, okay. And you even get that slip up when Buffy is under the influence of magic. Yeah. Um, and, she and calls herself a vampire ass. slayer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she like kind of waves, oh, it's a whole long story, like, yeah. oh, don't worry about it. And, and you want to say, wait a minute, what? Yeah. And, jo- and Joyce does kind of have that moment of what, but then yeah. you, can, you can see it. and, and, and She willfully ignores it. She does. She's, She's like, up to, it's, it's like, I always think with people like that, I think of that line from the Shawshank Redemption, like, you're being obtuse. Is it deliberate? You know, like. Yes. Yeah, I th- think there's some things she uh, willfully does not want to know, right, which makes right. it worse than if she was truly oblivious, you know? Yes. Um, and just yeah. the, the line that really pissed me off was when they had their kind of little snark fest and Buffy stormed out and she says to herself, great parenting form, shaky on the dismount. And I thought, Really? You think you have great parenting form? Like, oh, I'm a good parent. I just don't know how to express myself. No, no. She's totally going about this the wrong way. And if she thinks she has great parenting form, she has another thing coming. Yeah. I I actually think that we're, we're supposed to take that ironically. Like, I don't, I think she's saying that in the way that. In the way that she, I mean it. That, that she's saying, yeah. 
it was totally not great parenting for her. that. I mean, that's the way I take okay. it. Um, but if that, I hope that's what it is because <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's, if she doesn't mean it ironically, what bothers me about that is that she's, she, she's deluded herself into thinking that she's, you know, it seems to me that she's kind of, I mean, even though by the end, I think the whole, I think the whole thing with Catherine and Amy puts Buffy's relationship with her mom in perspective. That by the Absolutely. end, we're like, well, at least it's <laughs> not that. So right. I think there's a new appreciation of the fact that, uh, actually, I have it pretty good. And considering the alternatives, um, my relationship with my mom could be a lot worse. So I think there's, I'm not saying that Joyce is some sort of abusive, monstrous parent, but, um, but I think she has a lot of parenting issues and she's, you know, kind of like, there was that line in the pilot episode about, um, you know, the tapes all say I should do this and whatever. And you can stay up here and sulk. Like, she does everything but talk to Buffy about this stuff. Like, right. everything but have an actual real conversation. And if she's if she's deceived herself into thinking that she's trying everything she can and really trying to connect with Buffy, then I would have to disagree. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. Um, the, the reason I think that, that we're made... Uh, supposed to take that ironically is because she does apologize mm -hmm. to Buffy. She she does say, you know what about or while well, she tries to apologize, but then Buffy, being under the influence of magic, is like, oh no problem, I'm a happy girl, you know, right. whatever, I'm good, I made the cheerleading. Yeah. So it it does get kind of swept under the rug. Yeah. Um. But but I do think Joyce would have apologized at least if if um you know if if Buffy had maybe been more normal you know and was going to go on to say about yesterday I you know I shouldn't have maybe said the things that I was going to that yeah. I did say um but I think you're right she's totally oblivious at this point to the things that go on um when when um I mean you know Buffy's like oh I had tryouts yeah what did for I have what? tryouts yeah. for and 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 uh, yeah and the Again, the line, your platitudes are good for all occasions. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, thanks for nothing so much. Yeah. Um, so she is totally oblivious. I mean. And, and it's and it's visualized in when Buffy rips the lid off uh, yes, the carton yes. and she doesn't even uh, register the fact. Yeah. You well, could give me like, a hand. Yeah. And then. Who hasn't heard now, that from their parents? Well, and, that, and right? so <laughs> Buffy gives her a hand and she doesn't even pay attention to the fact that Buffy. Because if she was paying attention, she would have seen what Buffy just did. Right. So she doesn't acknowledge it. At so all. it's not only just like, how can you not notice that Buffy has superhuman strength? It's that you just asked your daughter to help you with something and didn't even register the fact that she did, which yeah. is a bigger problem, you know? Yeah. Um, and you get the, and, and again, going back to, you know, we moved here because of you, you know, she says about the cheerleading thing, you know, I'm glad you're taking that up again. It'll keep you out of trouble. Well, you know, had nothing to do with cheerleading that got her into trouble, right. you know, in her old school. There were, it wasn't cheerleading. It was, oh, you, you know, you stopped cheerleading and you got into trouble. Well, that, whoa, yeah. totally not a cause and <laughs> Logical effect Logical leap, here. yeah. Yeah, this is, this is uh, you know, coincidence, not, not a cause. No, and this so, is, I think that's back into, you know, everything 
except really trying to relate to her daughter. So, you know, oh, extracurricular activities are good for you. And, you know, right. so we're just going to make the assumption that because these things happen to coincide, then clearly what you need is more extracurricular activities, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's all right. And, that, and, and so... Don't give up on Joyce. Okay. Because she is a good I won't if you won't give up and, on Mickey. And and oh, oh my gosh. We're done talking about her. <laughs> I won't give up on Joyce. She's just I I she's um um I hope she does better. I hope she starts to pay more attention and care a little bit more. Uh um Yeah. Well and About Buffy as a person, not just about I, whether or not she's succeeding according to whatever the conventional standards are. I, I think, yes, I, I can, I can, I can see where you say, you know, why you're saying that. I think, I think the thing is here, she definitely cares about Buffy. I think again, she's ignorant, but then again, most people in Sunnydale are. Sure. And, 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 you know, back to the whole ideas of the levels of knowledge, Buffy is, totally immersed i mean mm -hmm. yeah she doesn't know everything about the vampires and whatever else that she's slaying but buffy's in it you know yeah joyce is not joyce is a mundane person through and through mm -hmm. she's a muggle right or whatever yeah, yeah. you want to call her you know she she has no idea that there's this underlying world that there's an underlying threat um and in a sense if you you know, going back to the, the metaphorness of all of this, mm -hmm. you know, this is, you know, again, another, another level of the idea that parents and adults and even adults, um, who are teachers and in the high schools don't really know what it's like for kids in high school, even, it, even though they've gone through it, even yeah. though they were kids there once, yeah. even though, you know, um, and, and Joy says, I don't get God, it. God knows she wouldn't want to be a yeah. you know teenager again, and that's you know, what like, makes her a better mom than Catherine. I mean, that's right. really the difference. I mean, she yeah, Catherine never left it mentally. Yeah, even though she obviously can't. Well, she did go back there right. physically, right? But Buffy <laughs> tells her to grow up. I mean, that's right. her problem is she never grew up. You know, at right. least Joyce is a functioning adult. Who, she grew up. You know. She grew up, but she forgot everything. And, and so it almost seems like you're right. I, I think that's a good juxtaposition there, because I think one of the main differences there is that they are almost, in a sense, complete extremes, but with sort of similar results. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, you know, one never grew up. The other one grew up too much. Sure. In, in a way, um, because Joyce doesn't remember really what it's like to be a teenager and Catherine never forgot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and never let herself move beyond it. So I, yeah, I do think we're supposed to kind of look at those as, as two extremes, um, that are, that are both wrong yeah. in, in their own way. Um, anyway, I, I feel like I, I may have taken over what you were going to say. What, and anything else there along the lines of, of sort of the main theme? Um, well, uh, just some things that I feel like they must have been intentional. I don't know for sure, but just uh, some kind of other parent-child 
horror stories that it reminded me of. Um, I just saw shades of, I mean, Freaky Friday. We're kind of in a, a, a witchy version of Freaky Friday, you know, of the mother and daughter <laughs> sort of switching bodies, which I thought was clever. Um, you yeah. know, the scenes in the locker room, I kind of got a Carrie vibe. Um, and then when she comes through the door, actually it's the daughter coming through the door with the axe, um, made me think of The Shining. Um, and mm. the most terrifying parent of all coming through the door with an ex. So, um, you know, again, maybe just a little bit of textual touches, you know, and sort of, um, things to sort of remind you of other stories of parents and their children and their inability to sort of get along and understand each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and interesting that you, that you point out the Carrie reference. Um, I mean, that's the big, uh, really, you know, of, of a witchy, demonic mother, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Completely um, overbearing her daughter. Well, I mean, so Whedon is definitely a, a huge horror fan. Mm -hmm. um, it, in case anyone has not seen Cabin in the Woods, um, you know. Great that, movie if you haven't that, seen it. <laughs> that uh, Go get it. Up, That'll clear up any doubt of uh, his his genre savviness as far as yeah. horror, you know, goes. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, it it wouldn't surprise me at all that that those were explicit in in some of those references there. Um, the, the the Carrie thing, I mean, at, at least in the well, there it, what it was prom right that mm -hmm. that. Uh, and Carrie there. I, th I yeah. think we'll get maybe other... Other even Carrie. More even more explicit. That would not surprise me at all, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. but, yeah, no, I, 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 I wouldn't doubt at all that, that some of those things were... Uh, well, that's true. I mean, I mean, Amy as kind of a alienated... Amy, before we realized that she's Catherine, you know, was sort of reminiscent of Carrie a bit. Um I guess Buffy could be kind of reminiscent of Carrie a bit. It's this kind of, you know, girl with supernatural powers, you know, uh, who the school doesn't realize that she is. But in this episode, especially with that mother, um, with this sort of overbearing, horrific mother, um, you know, definitely, I, I, you know, I thought that was something that they were sort of pointing towards. That was a scary mom. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, well, maybe that's a good transition into the other big thing that I wanted to talk about in this episode, which was the the witchcraft. Um, and as I was saying yes. before we started recording, um, it wasn't something that I had any notes on the first time I watched it. Um, and then I watched it again, and I started to realize that I had totally sort of glossed over some of the more interesting because it's sort of the, what you expect. I think I didn't uh, notice at first to sort of pay attention to what exactly is going on. And, um, you know, and maybe it does have more to do, rather than just being the one-off sort of bad guy that has to be defeated this week, um, it may have more to do with the big capital M mythology because the fact that Joyce's magic isn't uh or not choice i'm mixing up the moms Catherine's magic is not um innate to her it's uh she 
I mean, she uh, reads spells and makes potions and sort of sets up her little voodoo Barbie dolls and everything. But, um, but that the magic is, she's like Faust. It's incan it's invocational magic. So she's calling on a spirit to do the magic for her and sacrificing these cheerleaders to whoever this spirit is. Um, so I was wondering if it was possibly the old ones that she's calling on, um, hmm. that are these the demons that we've heard about in the previous episodes that she's, uh, you know, that she's calling on and sacrificing these girls to in order to achieve what she wants. Um, right. Whether you can confirm or deny that, uh, you can tell me. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't know that we can. That we can know that for sure. I don't. I don't know that we can conclude that they're one of the old ones per se. Um, there definitely is, like you're saying, there's an invocational and almost, you know, again, sort of the the genre bleeding um, here, an almost scientific. Well, uh, methodology to the magic. I liked the um, the equation of potions with with chemistry class. So you know, yes, eye of frog for the eye of newt. Uh, mer- <laughs> Close enough. Mercury for quicksilver, nitric acid for aquafortis. You know that all the this is all stuff yeah. we can get in the science lab, and that while they're supposed to be, you know, creating some sort of chemical reaction, they're really brewing a witch detecting potion and everything. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 so you get so and and I think we're we're to contrast. So we're I obviously this is episode 3. Um the first two episodes were a two-parter, so kind of, you know, one unit. Yeah. You, in that episode you get the mystical, mm-hmm. you know, sort of fantastic. You know, you get the master rising from the pool of blood and the the ritual nature of it. And 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 you get this idea that there's a a a deep magic (laughs) to use a c.s lewis term Uh i suppose um you you know to it but that the the magic that happens there is inherent almost in the in the creatures themselves right they're vampires they are incantational rather than invocational yeah that it's Um, like it's part of them and because they're vampires they have this magical ability right whereas this yeah the i mean these are we don't get any supernatural beings in this episode. Right. Every everyone, every, all the characters are human. Right. And so it's, you do get that incantation to a specific demon, but um, I don't know that that we're meant to give much stock in that particular mm-hmm. thing. So, it's, like for example, she calls on Korsheth. Yeah. That is that a name that we're I, ever going to hear what? again, I, or? I didn't even write it down. I can't say we'll we'd never hear it again, but if it if we do, this isn't like think... some demon that we're gonna meet like in season four or whatever. I I'll be honest and say I don't remember the name at all ever coming <laughs> up again. So okay. if we do meet them later, then then it's certainly something that I didn't pick up on the what six or seven times that I've watched the entire okay. series. Okay. So, all right. Well, that's okay. That's okay. I'm, uh, but I'm gonna stick by. Whether or not they ever, uh, I'm going to take a similar approach to it as I did with the Gelf. That whether or not they ever say exactly who she's calling on, if it's um, characters that we will or won't know, I, you know, I think it is clear that 
like you said, it's magic. It's not innate to her that she's not magical, that her magic right. is calling on a spirit and asking it to do something on her behalf. So, you know, so whether that is the old ones or whether there's some other class of demon out there, that's what's going on is. And, and the ability to do that, I think too, is learned. Yeah. So I, I think right. I think there, it has, it's there, no it's not anything that she has an ability. It's anybody could in theory do this. Well, and and Giles picks up on the fact you know he's like oh I did some research in, yeah. in my many occult books that I have in this public school library. Um, you know I did some research and found out that oh if we can just get her magic book her yeah. her, her her magic recipe book yeah. almost you know it it the the emphasis seems more placed on where the knowledge lies yeah. you know and oh yes oh and you have to invoke some obscure demon but that's okay cuz anyone who can read their name right. could could do that well and it's like it's, it's it's not it's not the it's not the harry potter thing of some people are born with a magical gene and because of that, they have this ability. It's more the traditional view of witches, which is that these were people who sold their soul to the devil. And there's nothing particularly special about them. They're people who made a magical contract with an evil spirit. And that's at least how, you know, the early modern people viewed witches. It seems more in line with that kind of 16th and 17th century tradition of witchcraft to me. And 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 I did read in in some of the notes somewhere that um, there actually was a scene where where Giles suggested throwing Amy in a lake to see if she floated, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I guess that scene was cut, um, and perhaps properly so. Uh, so so I think uh, does she weigh the I, same as a duck? That's the real question. <laughs> so, I think I think we're meant to have the impression that you yeah. have picked up on yeah. um, to some degree. I, I would say, I, I would say again that that at least in this episode for now, there's there's certainly more emphasis placed on the physical object of the book, yeah. and 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 the recitation of a specific formula, mm -hmm. if you will, uh, for the magic. Because even even when you, you know, because it's it's the same book and the same formulas that they're reciting, whether it's in the dark attic with a pentagram or in the school. Yeah. science lab Makes you know no what I mean? like, yeah 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 it's it, it's the fact that there's these these set sort of things that they need to say and do um and and i do want to point out too that you, you've got Catherine, who's apparently somewhat experienced even though we might still properly call her amateur. She's an experienced amateur, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. right? She's been doing this for a while. She she knows what she's about. She's kind of, you know, whatever. Whereas you have Giles, who mentions that um, this was my first casting, mm -hmm. you know. And, and as a novice, he's apparently able to overcome, yeah. you know, this, this somewhat experienced uh, someone who's certainly not a novice. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I would also point out that well, hmm. let's keep an eye on Giles. Okay. And 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 because he definitely is. Does he know he, more he, he's than the, he? He's the on. book. Well, he's the book knowledge guy. Sure. But 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 we'll um, we don't really know much about his history at all at this point. No. So, um, yeah, just we'll keep an eye on him. Okay. Um. <laughs> the the. 
let's see, magic. So, so yeah, so there is that. I, I, I don't want to dismiss what you were saying about the, the calling upon a demon. I, I honestly, I'm not, I'm not sure that the specific demon or whatever okay. in this case yeah, yeah. Is, is that big of a deal. Right. This isn't, um, this isn't a clue to some sort of, and, and, and I, and, and that's okay. That's kind of not my main, my main point was more the methodology that yes. it was done not through her own innate abilities, but right. by the calling of some other yeah. entity. So yeah. she was, she was baking a cake, a magic cake, sure. and, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, no, there is that aspect to it. And, and again, you know, you could follow it along in a science lab and, and recreate her experiment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the, uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Hold on. So I, yeah. Uh, the other thing that I did want to point out just real quickly about magic is, is that of course, Buffy isn't immune to the magic, right? She right. gets yeah. uh, affected just like everyone else, even though she does have superpowers, even though she does, um, you know, have, uh, have this ability to, to deal with magical creatures. She, she's still affected, yeah. you know, just like any other human. I mean, she is fully human, just superhuman. Yeah. <laughs> um, if that makes sense. Like she's not, not super in like a sense of being above. She just, she has the same capabilities, just kind of more of them, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Um, or, or to a greater, um, scale. She, she, you know, her strength is, you know, turned up to 11, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but she's, she's still, you know, susceptible to all the normal things that, that humans are susceptible to. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Did we beat, um, magic to a pulp here or did, did you have anything else you wanted to, uh, no nope. talk about there? No, nope, we're good. Um, did you want to talk about, um, I, I, I want to talk about some the, of the characters, the Buffy yes. Willow Xander group. <laughs> well, so I, so I everybody that... is officially friend zoned. Is that what we're meant to understand <laughs> that, that Willow's one of the guys and Xander's one of the girls and nobody is getting what they want. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I was going to go in, in, in more of the direction of, of the, the soul triptych that you were bringing up le- uh, last time, but a slightly but, more, but, but we'll go a slightly straight, higher. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll go straight to the teenage drama. Okay. All. all right. Um, we'll do it yeah. in reverse order. Poor Xander. I mean, so yeah, of, of course, Xander has a crush. Yeah. Um, on Buffy, yeah. and uh, I mean, he gives her a bracelet. Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't know. You know it, they all you know. say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they all say that. Um, which, you know, which of course is interesting. So, you know, again, Brander, uh, Brander, <laughs> Xander, um, and and his bracelet. Um, he 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 doesn't seem to. Um, he has trouble picking out accoutrement. Uh-huh. I, I guess I would say, you know, he, he had the whole flashlight debacle uh-huh. last time. Um, and of course now he's got this bracelet that becomes the thing, which right. is stolen right. to con- control Buffy. Um, it makes her vulnerable to y- yeah, yeah, magic. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't believe for a second that he didn't know what was on there. No. Um, uh, you know, he, he is of course hoping that she would see that and yeah. say, Oh, isn't that sweet? And yes, yeah. let's go out. Um, which of course doesn't happen right. at all. Um, so yes. So Xander in the beginning asking Willow for advice about Buffy classic scenario of, 
you're you're my friend who is a girl and can you help me you know in my pursuit of this other yeah. girl yeah. And, and always a winning opening to a conversation yeah i mean, I mean if, if where can if you go wrong yeah yeah um and uh, yeah you totally picked up willow has the crush on him yeah. and you know is is trying to um she's a lot cooler about it than he i think she's doing a better job at hiding it um and, yes. and in fact i wasn't she's so good at hiding it that i wasn't even sure that we were totally meant to understand that you know she kind of you could just read it as oh you just called me a guy thanks and kind of you know but um her sort of puppy dog devotion doesn't seem as obvious as his um right no and it's not but you you get hints um even in previous episodes so um was it episode two or maybe maybe have been was even the first episode where where she tells about the oh yes we used to go out yeah. <laughs> when we were in like four years yeah, old or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and I and I definitely but, got a little bit of a sense, but I was kind of telling, well, I was I'm not sure I'll wait and kind of see was yeah. kind of the the tack I was taking. No, yeah, and, and I think that's right, because I think at this point we're meant to understand Xander and Willow just as good friends who have known each other for a very long time. Yeah. But not without some feelings, yeah. at least one way. There, there certainly are hints of that. Yeah. Um, and then of course it gets reciprocated when Buffy's. Yeah. Uh, it, he not gets only, a taste of his own medicine. Yeah. Not well. And not only, um, it, it's when Buffy is under the influence. I mean, she's not lying. You know that nothing she's saying is a lie right, at right. this point. Like, she's she, not trying her to... Her filter's been taken away, and yeah, she's, she's honest, not, yeah. Yeah, she's not trying to, to keep from hurting anyone's feelings here. She's yeah. just saying what she thinks. And so, you know, Xander is her Xander-shaped friend. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and she's so he's, comfortable and he's with one him. Of the girls. like one of the girls, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> um, so, so yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's totally there. And, and of course, you know, you're setting up this whole sort of triangle thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I want to point out though, there with, with the relationship between Xander and Buffy, the actual relationship between them um, is starting to uh, kind of in the same way, almost as, as Giles is, um, you know, kind of starting to fill in that, that fatherly role almost for Buffy, you do see a different sort of um, relationship between Xander and Buffy where Xander is, is, is sort of expressing some sort of protectiveness mm-hmm. over her. Um, you know, he, where he says, uh, you know, uh, he wants to basically kill Amy, you know, for, yeah. for being a witch. And, and, and Buffy's like, well, it's not her fault. She doesn't know what she's doing. Buffy's like, I, I don't care why this is happening. I just, I want you to stay alive. I want you to keep reading. I'll yeah. do whatever. It, I'll do whatever it takes. And and that may just be an outgrowth of his crush on her, but it it does seem to have a different quality um, than that. It it seems to be genuine, and it seems to be something more than just let me give you this bracelet so that maybe you'll kiss me or something. Yeah, but. You know, it's it it's there's a genuine quality to I I want I just want you to be alive. I just want you to not um, be in danger anymore. And 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 yeah. however I can do that, it's that same uh, friendship 
uh, level of, of affection and protection that he had with Jesse when he just had to go running down into right. the sewers right. to, and we're to, back to go to, after his friend. We're back to his sort of defining virtue being his loyalty. Yes. So, um, you know, but it is confused because he definitely has, I don't know if I, I would say romantic. <laughs> he has, um, um, infatuation. Kind infatuation yeah. yes uh, uh with buffy and and again she's still the new girl she is um you know they they're very clearly friends now they've become a team although that's sort of at question right. in the beginning the slayerettes um, yes the slayerettes <laughs> and, again uh, one of the girls yeah there you go um so so definitely you know they're they're friends. They're kind of a team, and 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 you get their different um, things that are going on there. But but again, Sander, what does he do? He doesn't do a whole lot in this episode, mm-hmm. really. And the things that he does are he attempts to be kind like of, the physical, right? You know, brutish kind of. Let's take him down and you know kill the witch kind of thing. Right. But kind of he, ineffectual, yeah. Yeah, he's not effective at all. Yeah, with it. and so. Um, so yeah, so that's Xander. I mean, you know, what can you say? He's, he, 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 he's not strong. He's, he's not popular and he can't really mack it with the ladies too much. So, well, so he needs to, I mean, we know what Buffy can do. We know what Willow can do. I think Xander, other than having just, you know, the, the loyalty, which is kind of an abstract thing. We have yet to figure out what exactly is Xander's contribution to the team. Yeah. In what way and can he effectively contribute other than just as the cheerleader? Yeah. And and again, going on with that metaphor, I mean, you know, there are a lot of kids in high school still trying to figure that kind of stuff out. Right. And, and right. Where's know, my what's my place? What am I, I good I, at? Yeah. And and one of my favorite lines in the whole show. I am Xander, king of Cretans. May all lesser Cretans bow before me. Yeah. You know, that's that's just, that is, that is his insecurity. What it's he his, thinks of himself, yeah. Yeah, it's his, yeah, it's definitely self-reflective, obviously. And, and it's just, um, yeah, that's just him at this, at this particular point in time. And he's still trying to figure it out as, as, as is everyone to, yeah. to one way or another. But no, but he's right. definitely that kid who has the, the friends who are more high achieving than he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I can relate to that. I think a lot of people can, not everybody. Some people were the high achievers, but I think most of us had a certain, had certain, a friend or multiple friends who, you know, you work your butt off and they just excel, you know, and it seems to just be effortless. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's kind of a relatable thing. So, so going into the triptych idea, the solar yeah. triptych, and and I don't, I guess we should see how much time we actually have here. We've probably We're gone over probably about <laughs> it, but we can do that before the um, this, the triptych thing before we yeah, wrap up. And and really, all I wanted to do was was just bring it up to mention it. Did did you see any further parallels, sort of, to your theory, um, 
Or, um, well, I, and I and I know it wasn't necessarily a full formed theory per se, but yeah, you know, nothing, I, I nothing, nothing new that was an added layer more than what we saw last time. I mean, they're kind of, you know, you know, playing the same roles that they did last time. Let's say as kind of the leader, the brains, and the cheerleader, or whatever it is that Xander is going to end up doing. So, yeah. um, I don't know. Did no, you I, see anything? No, I think it's still. I think it, for the most part, still, still pretty much fits. I mean, again, you know, on Xander, he's he is the cheerleader because he's the one who wants to rush out and do stuff, or at least support the people who are rushing out yeah. and doing stuff. Um, well, well, but I'm, yeah, I'm, he, I'm with you, but slightly behind you. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, no, I, th- I think it. I think for the time being, that, that holds up. So, didn't. I guess I didn't really have a lot to say about that. <laughs> um, but I did want to mention it because I you you put it on my radar and I do think it's an interesting idea and okay. it's not something that I've considered before so I think it's worth uh, at least looking at. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, I think we've un- unless you have anything else, I think we've covered most of um, what uh, we wanted to. Nope, I think we hit all my points. Great. Well, then I think uh, we'll call it a week and. Thank you. It was a great conversation. And thank you for those of you listening. We hope you enjoyed it as well. All right. Have a good night. Cat and Kurtz TV Review is copyright 2013. Catherine Sass and Curtis Williams. Please find us online at kctvreview.wordpress.com or on Facebook or Twitter at kctvreview.